today we are going to talk about how neutrality or rather blindness to gender differences in organizational culture largely leaves bias unaddressed and can therefore have the impact of perpetuating discrimination at work over the past several decades there has largely been a recognition that uh, work cultures have historically been discriminatory they have led to certain groups being advantaged over others and that there is a need to hold values of diversity and equity in high regard and actively work towards achieving the same in the way organizations operate right now and a narrative that has largely gained traction of late is of course the business case for diversity a conversation and debates also exist right now about how uh, impactful is this business case at all in so far as the impact that it has on these marginalized communities is concerned how the instrumental rhetoric that is inherent in the business case for diversity where it feels like the company is not really interested in diversity per se but simply views it as means to an end uh but is otherwise not really interested in the co- cause how this is something that can otherwise actually backfire uh that of course is a different conversation to be had but let's talk about other approaches that companies have to promote diversity at work and to ensure gender equality at work a route that organizations often take is that of adopting a neutral perspective when it comes to people's social identities or people's gender identity it's well intentioned the assumption which of course is also backed by research is that people can feel a social identity threat they can feel that if gender is something that is being overplayed at work if i am being seen not as an engineer but as a woman engineer i will always be viewed through the lens of my gender identity it's likely that i will face more stereotyping and face more gender based bias at work and even before i apply to a company like this i will on my part as an applicant be anticipating that i will not really have a great sense of belonging at this particular office or at this particular organization it is because of this that many organizations have vision statements which talk about valuing individuals for their contributions that they can make as individuals it's about emphasizing the similarities of people at work and not really highlighting their differences by differences which can be rooted in their gender their ethnicity their race their ability etc so we're talking about an approach that says that we will treat everyone equally and it is supposedly based on the democratic ideals of individualism and meritocracy and objectivity so the idea is to do away with any kind of discrimination at all by emphasizing that hey we are not all that different we in fact are much more similar than we acknowledge this is an approach that has the intention of um, communicating inclusiveness teamwork ideas of trust and fairness hence its emphasis on universal identities and minimization of difference but it has been seen that this philosophy actually has a directly opposite impact 
So when you're talking about people from marginalized groups, when you're talking about women or LGBTQIA plus individuals, if we're talking about gender and sexual identity, how do they perceive a company's vision statement that comes across as neutral in this sense? It communicates a sense of um, alienation. It communicates the unintended message that your cultural baggage related to your gender or related to your ethnic identity or your religion is to be left outside work and there will be little space for that to be dis discussed at work. It also sends forth the unintended message that differences are divisive, which is why we should focus on our similarities instead. This is not to say that the companies which have statements of this sort do not value anti-discriminatory policies and frameworks. Of course, organizations by and large are on board when it comes to framing of policies that do away with discrimination, but the issue is that it is much easier to analyze problems when they fit into a legal framework of analysis, when you can point out that something is wrong because it is legally not permitted. Unwanted sexual advances at work, not okay. If you are harassing employees because of their identity, it is not okay. But then discrimination continues to exist in lot in many other ways in invisibilized forms because of the fact that unconscious bias does exist. And this again um, ties back to what we previously discussed about how socialization is something that has resulted in us harboring these biases and has resulted in us, you know, considering certain characteristics in uh, traditionally masculine societies to be better and relegating others to a subordinated position. So such forms of bias do exist. And in this context, when we adopt a stance that is so-called neutral in its approach when it comes to treatment of gender and other marginalized identities, the effect actually is a perpetuation of discrimination because it minimizes the possibilities of taking accountability or even discussing the kind of underlying bias that exists and that manifests itself in different functions within the organization. So if we are talking about something like recruitment, well-meaning, well-intentioned organizations would want to improve diversity in their workplace and they would say that I am all for promoting more women, I am all for getting more women on board, getting more gay individuals, more LGBTQIA representation on board, but I just can't find the right candidate. I just don't think there are enough people with the qualifications that we need to fill in these roles. If that is the problem, we really need to think twice and we really need to look at how we are attempting to recruit individuals. The question here is, is this really a pipeline issue or is it something else? We've all heard of this statistic being thrown around a lot where um, in books like Lean In and uh, Confidence Code, etc., th there's a lot of discussion about how men will apply to a role even if they only qualify or even if they only meet 60% of the criteria mentioned in the job advert, whereas women would apply only if they feel like they meet 100% of the requirements which are set, set out in the advert. It's often tied down to something like a sense of confidence that women have in their own ability to perform compared to a sense of confidence that men have in their ability to perform and the latter doing much better in this regard. 
but the issue actually is not so much about confidence as it is about their judgment of their ability to perform in the role that is being advertised so if you are someone who is drafting a job advert you have to understand the kind of bias that is being perpetuated in the kind of language that are using in your job advert before coming to language let us talk about the wish list of requirements that are mentioned when i as a prospective candidate i'm looking at your job advert i consider each of the things mentioned on that list as a necessary requirement but that is not always the case because a lot of times it's a wish list of what you would hope the ideal candidate would look like but a lot of the requirements mentioned in the adverts are not even required for successful performance of the role so you need to really weed out those unnecessary criterions that you mention in your advertisements in order to ensure that people can actually make a correct assessment of their suitability for the role otherwise you have a self rejection happening at a certain level so you're talking about incre- increasing a diverse uh, or improving your diversity numbers in so far as you know workforce representation is concerned but you are resulting in that being a goal which is hampered simply because you're not really looking at the approach that you have to uh even f- doing something as simple as framing your job adverts here is where neutrality is something that doesn't really help because you need to sit back and you need to really think about where you're going wrong and where bias is coming at play okay now coming to the second thing about usage of the usage of bias terms in your descriptions and adverts so if you are talking about using more uh masculine terms uh like competitive assertive these are terms which are generally traditionally associated with men because of socialization and um whereas on the other hand you have terms like cooperative which are more feminine traits so to say so if you have an adverb which is loaded with masculine terms it's also going to uh be rejected at some level by female candidates because they might feel like they don't really qualify for that particular role so that is also something that needs to be kept in mind <laughs> besides that when you talk about the function of retention and promotion let's talk about retention how do you manage something like microaggression at work within a gender neutral framework microaggression of course something that has actually been spoken of by peers in a racial context where he talks about racial microaggression subtle put downs and insults that people who are black or asian or come from any marginalized non white racial racial group face uh this is something that becomes extremely difficult to talk about and call people out on because it is often um uh, laced as humor or often seen as something that was only frivolously frivolously com- commented on and something that should not be taken too seriously so microaggressions also exist at work and this is something which is very pertinent even when you look at it from the context of in light of gender so even gender based microaggressions where you passed remarks about a woman and how she's uh, you know little jokes about how she's made it big in the company because of her gender because she's so pretty and uh, so these remarks are hard to call out and in a culture which 
uh, prides itself on being blind to differences and focusing on similarities, it becomes all the more difficult for employees who are facing these to have a conversation about these issues. And this then leads to a shift in the focus on the part of these employees from improving their productivity and efficiency at work to focusing on the kind of on the management of the kind of rage and frustration and alienation that they experience at work. So this again is something that requires sensitivity in order to manage and in order for employees to not feel anxious, not feel exhausted and be able to actually focus on being more productive, it is necessary for them to be able to have these conversations and to be able to feel like this is something that can be and will be called to account at my workplace. And this again becomes a little difficult because it requires education of employees who have otherwise been privileged and it requires calling out such behavior as wrong. And this is something that is a consistent and constant process and cannot happen if the company does not put conversations around diversity, sexuality, gender, um, you know, uh, place if, if the company does not place this as something that is a priority or that is important. And then again, we can talk about how equal treatment is something that is important even when we are thinking of promotions. If we have a skewed representation in upper managerial and executive roles and leadership roles, then perhaps this is something this has to do with bias. And if we want to do away with bias, perhaps we need to ensure that we have an objective framework at place and we treat everyone and judge everyone on the basis of their merit and whether or not they would have the potential to actually be good leaders. Okay, that's fine. But we need to also look at the kind of framework that we have in place in order to determine suitability for a particular leadership or managerial role. It is often seen that um, while companies are investing considerable time, energy and resources to actively search for and implement strategies to retain and promote their the best female talent that they have, the programs that they have in place do not always translate into a certain, um, so to say, equivalence in promotions for both sexes or for people um, across different genders. It is often seen that even when women are selected for leadership roles or are considered as high potential candidates, they are taught to change their leadership styles for them to move up the leadership uh, you know, pipeline. There, um, generally it is seen that forms of assertiveness are held as traits that are to be um, held in high regard in a leader. And behavioral styles and personality traits that are mostly valued in traditionally masculine cultures are what we also view as ideal and desirable in our leaders and our leadership candidates. And display of these characteristics is then also seen as a marker of potential. And this can sadly be unappealing and unnatural for women candidates who are also very high potential. And when you are when you put in place a mentorship program for high potential women and you tell them that you need to change your leadership style to fit this particular framework, which values these masculine traits and characters, it can make the approach feel extremely inauthentic for them. Then again, there is the issue of the double bind, which we also talked of earlier. 
and it has been talked of by authors like Eagley and Carly, where they mention how, on the one hand, uh, you know, women are asked to be more assertive and authoritative and display dominant behaviors which people typically associate with leadership. But on the other hand, if you display this too assertively, if you're too assertive, then it is something that can come across as less attractive if you are a woman. So if you have a male mentor teaching you how to be a leader, this is someone who has never faced this dilemma themselves. And they may find it extremely difficult to actually provide you useful advice when you as a woman are constantly facing this trouble of having to navigate the fine line between not being aggressive enough or lacking in presence and being too aggressive or too demanding or too controlling. So that is also something that needs to be kept in mind. And how do you deal with this? This requires mentoring and especially sponsorship programs to be complemented with bias, unconscious bias training for people in leadership positions, for men who are mentoring these women, for sponsors who are mentoring these women. To have an approach where you say that we do not discriminate when we are promoting women, we discriminate, we do not discriminate and we only look at how much potential you have or objectively how well you're doing at work is not enough because Unconsciously, the kind of yardstick that we have for measuring potential for good performance as a leader is also something that is not insulated from the impact of gender bias or insulated from the impact of the kind of discriminatory socialization that is in place in society. Also, records have shown how when you, when it, if you look at promotion records and you see that you have more male leaders in place and not so much diversity as you move up the ranks um, of, you know, if as you move up the chain of command in your organization, you also find things, uh, you also find research which shows that while men are being promoted on the basis of their potential to be good leaders, when it comes to women, it is their track record that is emphasized on a little more. So that again is something that makes us question that, hey, are we really in a position to be neutral and blind to differences as we go ahead? Overall, therefore, I think what can be said is that, of course, companies have worked hard to eliminate overt discrimination, but the truth is that women still face the pernicious force of mindsets that limit their opportunity and their access. We're not talking about equal treatment, but we're talking about equal access and that many a times requires and calls for differential treatment. Something that organizations need to do firstly is to take a careful look at their corporate culture. We're not talking about just implementing flashy, uh, you know, uh, DEI initiatives and calling in specialists that are popular right now, just as an annual thing that you have to do to tick something off a checkbox, uh, to, to tick something off a list of to-dos that you have for the year. Uh, that is not enough. You really need to conduct a careful audit of the kind of diversity policies that you have in your organization and understand whether or how the underlying assumptions that you have in your philosophy of equality and inclusiveness and of treating everyone the same 
how these assumptions are actually based upon a very mistaken notion of how gender and sexual orientation operates in society and how blindness to these differences can largely alienate the people who come from these marginalized groups and sections so this is this can be very unintended and this is generally unintended but this neutral approach to differences can cause great great harm to the marginalized population in the workplace on the one, on the other hand what is needed is a philosophy that acknowledges differences that embraces diversity and also recognizes and validates these differences across the lines of ethnicity gender sexual orientation religious affiliation etc of employees and this is what it takes to make the groups feel more valued and feel more welcomed and more validated so that they can actually focus on improving their efficiency at work also just having a vision statement that clearly upholds diversity and inclusion as core values is not enough it doesn't end there i mean don't be that organization with a check box approach that we just talked about it's not just about talking about diversity because it's the in thing at the moment you know simply paying lip service to the issue but there is also the question of having accountability in place of course having clustering and networking opportunities for marginalized groups or marginalized genders is extremely important for the organization to send forth a strong message that it is important to them diversity and organizational inclusion is something that is extremely important to the core values of how the organization operates that is important but at the same time the groups which actually have a responsibility of um framing or drafting a blueprint or an action plan to achieve certain diversity targets have to have the resources in place and also the accountability to ensure that this is something that is being done so that is something that's important you need to have the power and the influence to bring about the change that you set out to achieve and also an understanding of what change your organization currently needs which requires a thorough audit of the kind of policies and the kind of culture that you have in place in order to understand how diverse are you really and if we go by uh numbers that the UN has given us we are over a century away from actually achieving true gender equality when it comes to representation in positions of power and influence so i don't think we are at that position yet where we can say that blindness to difference is the way forward within our institution and this is how we're going to ensure that employees perform to the fullest of their potential because sorry but we're just not there yet